Amen. 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 Well, this week we're going to continue our vital merger prayer vigil, and, and while we're going to focus on a transition to, to whatever's next. We're praying that now, not even knowing what, what it's going to be. You know, Bill Bridges wrote in a book on transitions. He said, before you can begin something new, you have to end what used to be. Before you can, can learn a new way of doing things, you have to unlearn the old way. Before you can become a different person or a different church, you must let go of your old identity. That's hard. So we're going to spend a lot of time this week praying about that. This week we're going to be praying for our new unified ministry in our community. Again, even though we don't fully see it now, that we're going to pray for specific areas. First, the, the, the name and the structure of this new ministry. A new pastor, maybe, and new leadership. The transition of locations and the transition of our members. I'm going to pray for all of these. Amen. So, this week, I have some good news for you. You, if you're in the mood for good news, I mean, if you... If, if you don't, you can go anywhere else today. I mean, you can go anywhere and find all the bad news that you could possibly want, but not here. So, looking for bad news? You're in the wrong place. You can leave now. <laughs> don't leave. Because all I have is good news. All I have is the best news. All I have is a message of hope, of encouragement. News that will make you want to smile and tell somebody. So, so let's practice that right now, actually. Let's, let's go ahead. And even if you're by yourself, just smile real big, eh, like you're cheesy, like in a high school picture, right? Smile and say, I've got good news. Go ahead, tell, you, tell somebody next to you. Tell them, he's got good news. He's got good news. Tell them right now. Now, now tell somebody else. Tell them that you can tell them that you know, like, you're my second choice. He's got good news. And it's for you too. Second choice is fine. All right. Amen. Go ahead and get out your Bibles, and I invite you to open them up to Colossians chapter 2. If you don't know where that is, it's towards the end of the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The way I remember it is God eats pizza cold. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. In preparing for today, I heard a story told by another pastor and that I thought was very fitting. Uh, Pastor uh, David Lindreth, he told the story of a, of a soldier who had gone to fight in World War II. Yesterday was D-Day, June 6th. We remember, uh, as we remember, the start of America's involvement in that war and those who served in that pivotal war in our history. But, but, this, but this soldier and the story that he had it, it's, it had a girl at home. They were, they were the pair in town everybody knew were perfect for each other. We probably had some of those here, right here in our town, too, I'm sure, didn't we? Anyway, this story, he went away to war, and while he was overseas, he met another girl, and they fell in love. He served for years in Europe while they were married, but eventually it was time for him to come home. And, and when he moved home, he brought his wife. Now, now, this old girl, she knew all this had happened. The whole town knew what had happened, so it wasn't a surprise to anyone that he had a wife and that he would be coming back home. So one day, he's at home alone, and there's a knock on the door. And you guessed it, it was the old girlfriend. Before he knew it, she had walked right on in the house. Right there, he should have known he was in trouble. I mean, we can all see it, right? We can see it, that this is going nowhere good. Well, in she comes, and she starts trying to catch up, you know, pouring on how much she missed him, how much she worried about him. She was reminding him of all the good times they had, they'd shared together before he went away to war. He's starting to get nervous and probably a little suspicious. 
that she wasn't there just to catch up, but to get him to break up. But it, it was too late. You see, his heart belonged to someone else already. Instead of getting into a conversation about what could have been, he focused on what was. So he just started talking about his wife. He went on and on about how great of a wife she was, how great of a cook she was, how funny she is, how beautiful. Everyone likes her. He started showing her pictures, going on and on. He can't wait to have kids with her. How wonderful her family is, on and on and on. So much so that the old girlfriend lost interest in him because he had no interest in her. He focused on the one he loved, and that defeated any temptation he could have sensed. That's what Paul is writing to us in Colossians about. He's writing to the church in Colossae about too. Again and again, Paul is going to describe for us how amazing Jesus is, calling us, reminding us to be captivated again with the glory of Jesus. We need that every now and then, to remember that Jesus is enough, and again, and again. It's not that we forget, but life starts happening. We get tired, we get stressed. We get tempted to take our eyes off of Jesus and put them on, onto something else, sometimes even good things, and that begins to distract us from our first love. That's the way John described it in the book of Revelation, even. Taking our eyes off our first love, losing our first love. We've seen it play out over the last week or so. You'd be hard-pressed to say that the current events haven't been overwhelming for your thoughts. I mean, the events of our world today have, have certainly been a cause for concern. As serious as it is, as followers of Jesus, we have to see through the lens of faith, through our relationship with Jesus to see the world. It's, it's, if it's my pain, I need to see it through my relationship with Jesus. If it's my frustration, then I need to see it through my faith in Jesus. If it's my anger, I need to see it through my love for Jesus. Otherwise, I'm tempted to come up with all sorts of ways it should be dealt with. You see... Paul had heard about their faith in Colossae. He'd heard about these, these false teachers, too, who were coming in and adding to the gospel. And Paul knew when you add to the gospel, you're actually making less of Jesus or making Jesus less. Paul wanted the church in Colossae and the church here to know that Jesus is enough, that it wasn't Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. Go ahead, say that. Jesus is enough. Sounds like a great sermon series title, doesn't it? Well, let's get started today. If you have your Bible open to, to today's text, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 is where we're going to begin. So then just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness, just as you were taught. Let me ask you a question. What did you have to do to receive Christ as Lord? You may be thinking, well, I, I had to come to church, or my friend had to tell me, or, or something. But I don't mean where and how it happened. I mean, what I mean is, what did you have to do in order for Jesus to come into your life? What did you have to do in order for Jesus to love you? I'll just wait right here until you can come up with something. No, I'm not waiting because you can't come up with anything. You didn't do anything to get Jesus to save you. He did it because he loves you. 
It's grace. And we receive that grace by faith. Some of y'all were, were nasty folk. I mean, one day you were gossips. And you were workaholics you, who ignored your family. You were, you were emotional basket cases. You were addicts. You were drunks. You were, you were unforgiving, honorary people, unloving, hateful. Then you met Jesus. What well, you may still be a bit honorary, but but your life has been changed, right? He he came to you just as you were a desperate beggar because you couldn't save yourself. Paul says, now with that same effort, with that same approach, live your lives in Him. Some translations say to walk in Him in a posture of surrender. It is. It's it's as though we live our lives with our hands palms up. Lord, I'm yours. Everything I have. Everything I have, everything I am is yours. The kingdom of God belongs to those who come to Jesus as a child, it says scripturally. Trusting in him completely, adoring him, loving him. Much like that homecoming soldier, Paul says to be caught up in your love for Jesus. And this goes against what was being taught in Colossae. Look in chapter, in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces of this world rather than on Christ. See, Jesus is enough, Paul says. Paul's making it clear, a warning to the church. He knows of their faith, right? And we talked about that in chapter 1, where, where he's already said to them, I, I love how firm your faith in Christ is, but don't take it for granted, he says here in chapter 2. He says, don't get caught up in philosophy. Instead, this is a warning to us. You see, philo, meaning love, and sophi, meaning knowledge, right? The love of knowledge. Paul says, don't get caught up in the love of knowledge, thinking that you need to know more by relying on human traditions, spiritual forces, or anything else that isn't completely rooted in Christ. We need to hear this today. I mean, I know you believe. I'm, I'm sure you have faith, but... Because you're here, you're watching, you're, you're taking part in this. But don't get caught up in thinking that you need to do something or believe something more than what Jesus has told us in Scripture. As for human traditions in Colossae, they, they probably looked very different from for us today. But Jesus spoke again and again to the Jewish people we know about spiritualizing their traditions. The Old Testament had, had, had them, told them to practice these so you never forget. So you remember that God was always for his people. God was faithful. But over time, you see, the Jews began to make the point, make the traditions the point instead of the one to whom the traditions were to point them, to God. Same things can happen to us today. Our traditions can become the object of worship rather than the tool they are to help us worship God. We have to worship this way or that way. There are some probably, some in our community who, who won't worship with us because it's not in their building or because it's we, we don't have the right kind of music or, or whatever. When, when we sanctify our traditions, we miss the point. And we miss Jesus. The same is true for what the, the NIV calls elemental spiritual forces of the world. Since the beginning of, of history, of time, you know, people have, have been captivated by the power of what Paul refers to as elemental forces in the world. He's speaking of, I believe, earth, wind, and fire, and water, right? Not the band. My kids gave me a fire pit a few years ago for Father's Day, and we, we use it every week. Oftentimes, Michelle and I will be sitting out under the stars, and she'll ask me, what are you thinking about? I'm like, nothing, just watching the fire. 
my mind is completely blank in that moment, right? It's, it's entertaining and it's captivating to watch the flames. The same with the waterfall. I mean, I could stare at them for hours. It's easy to see how people would begin to spiritualize them. We see it, the stars, our horoscopes. Sure, you may read them for entertainment, but, but that's a dangerous slope. Because you tend to look for confirmation of what you've read, and before long, you're amazed by creation rather than the creator. See, in the ancient world, they saw God as being up there and, and people as being down here. And, and, and God was so perfect, he could never come down here. So instead, God used all these spiritual beings that would occupy the space between us and him so that, so that what you had to do is you had to navigate these spiritual forces, as these beings, these traditions, to navigate your way to God. Jesus was just one of these spiritual beings. Paul says that looking anywhere other than Christ, we miss the point. Jesus plus anything is not equal to Jesus. Human traditions or spirituality does not save you. In fact, when you add something to Jesus for salvation or redemption, you actually make Jesus less important. You diminish his work on the cross. So if it's Jesus plus these spiritual forces or Jesus plus these traditions, then Jesus didn't accomplish what he set out to accomplish. If it's Jesus plus baptism this way or Jesus plus communion that way or Jesus plus this theology, then when Jesus said it is finished from the cross, he misspoke. He didn't misunderstand, though. He knew exactly what he was doing, and that's what Paul goes on to say to describe in the closing six verses of this chapter 2 passage that we're looking at today. For God in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. You were baptized with Christ when you were baptized. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I would ask you today to, to highlight or underline these six verses because I believe they are a powerful picture of the work of God in Christ for us. The Jesus that we have to add to is, isn't the work of Jesus. Let me, let me say again, a Savior whose work you have to enhance isn't a Savior. But a Savior who does it all is enough. This Jesus is enough. Paul says, you couldn't need anything more than Jesus because all the fullness of God was in him. That's a lot to consider in itself, the divinity of Jesus. But, but he was all God. Not that Jesus was, is all there is to God, but Jesus was all God. In him, God accomplished all that needed to be accomplished. This is a pointed reminder. 
Are we living as though this were true? Or are we waiting on God to do something more? Paul says that just as Jesus was the fullness of God in the flesh, so are we completed when we are united with Christ. See, Jesus is enough for our salvation. We aren't lacking anything, even though we strive and strain, we do so out of ignorance or hubris. But either way, it's spiritually pointless. Verse 11, Paul explains how we are completed in Christ. We don't feel complete, but that feeling is in us. It's not because of a lack of what Jesus accomplished, because the fact of the matter is, we are given a new nature. Our sinful nature has been killed when we come to faith in Christ. The way of death in us has been killed. It has been cut away. So what's left? Life. Life. Jesus is enough for our salvation. He's enough for our forgiveness. Jesus secured our forgiveness by nailing it to the cross. And because the curse of sin is broken, we're no longer being judged for our sins. I'm talking about all our sins. The sins of our past and the sins we haven't even committed yet. All our sin has been crucified. But does that mean I get to live any way I want? I mean, if I'm already forgiven, no. In fact, a person who's been forgiven so much, who surrendered to Jesus out of thanksgiving, wouldn't even consider such a question. The truth is, if you've experienced the forgiveness of Christ, the last thing you want to do is anything that would create distance between you and your Father in heaven. When you're in Christ, your forgiveness is complete. There is nothing more to do. The third thing that Paul tells us is that Jesus is enough for our victory. Our victory. Look at verse 15. He says, In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Jesus didn't just defeat sin. He did it publicly. He allowing himself to be put on display, a display that has changed the world that people are still talking about. That's some good news. We are victorious in Christ. Several years ago, the Ravens won the Super Bowl. My son and I, man, we were so excited. We were running around the house. Woohoo! We won! We won! Unbelievable, man. The lights went out. The NFL was against us, but we won. We didn't win anything. The Ravens won. I didn't get a ring. The players did. That's not the way it works on Team Jesus, though. On Team Jesus, he shares the victory with us. It's our victory in him, in Christ. You have victory over the schemes of the devil. Satan, he wants to take you off track, but Jesus is too much. Satan wants to see you fall to temptation, to create distance between you and God, but Jesus is too much. Satan wants to see your marriage fail, so you'll turn your back on God, but Jesus is too much. Satan wants to see you overwhelmed financially, stressed out, emotionally burdened, spiritually dry. But Jesus is too much. Jesus is too much for Satan. But for you, Jesus is enough. And that is good news. Maybe you need to hear that good news today. Life has you down, overwhelmed, you're stressed. You're looking for God to, to give you a sign that he's still there, that he hasn't given up on you. Well, let me tell you, your sign is the cross. It's empty because Jesus is alive. He's delivered. He'll deliver for you. Follow him. We have all fallen short, but Jesus makes up for our failures. You need this Jesus. 
Just, just write that down in the comments or in the chat here if you're watching this. This Jesus. Just write that down. If you need this Jesus, then I invite you to pray with me. And, and we all need this Jesus, right? If you want to experience the full life that Jesus promised, just, just pray like this. You might stand up. You might take a knee. You might, you might lift your hands in a posture of surrender. But, but pray with me right now. I invite you to pray with me today. Lord, thank you for Jesus who lived and died for me so that I could become the child of God that you created me to be. Forgive me of my sin. I failed you and I failed myself. But Lord, you know that and you love me anyway. You love me before I messed up and you love me even though I still mess up. You love me so much that you sent your son Jesus to die that I could be restored to you, Father. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for giving me a new life. I ask you to help me to live, to, to live for you in victory. I give you my life, Lord. Use me for your glory. Keep me close. Spirit, equip me to keep me full of your strength. I thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to celebrate with you. Please send me a message and let me know. I, I, want, to, I want to lift this up to God and I want to help you live this life. I invite you now, if you would, join me for our benediction. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe God needs me there. Wherever I am, I trust God has put me there. He has a purpose for me being there. Christ, alive in me, wants to do something through me no matter where I am. I believe this and go in His grace and His love and His power. Amen. God bless you all. See you soon. Be victorious. Jesus is enough. Amen. Love you.